friends of the Lane One Podcast, Coach Q, here with another episode. In this episode, we speak with Jay Holder. He is the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Atlanta Track Club. And we talk about his history with running, his current position with the Track Club, all the responsibilities that come with managing the marketing and communications for a club that is uh, very substantial in size and also in responsibilities. We talk a little bit about the work that they did in putting together the Olympic marathon trials for both the men and women. And we talk a little bit about some of the, you know, uh, behind the curtain things that um, you really wouldn't think about would be an issue for, for, you know, anybody just thinking about what went into organizing an event like that. So it was really cool to hear not only his history with the sport, but also where he's at now. And currently, he is in Japan, and he is going to be helping to manage some of the media with the with the Olympics. Um, and so he'll talk about that in the episode, and I think you guys will be excited to hear that. So enjoy the episode. And before we get, well, before we jump into it, a couple other things I think I mentioned in previous episode that uh, we've got some upcoming races July 4th here on St. Simons Island we have the Sunshine Festival which is organized by our local track club the Golden Isles Track Club and uh, it should be a fun fun race so check it out check them out at Golden Isles Track Club and uh, .com for registration and other race information and we do have other races coming up in the fall because who wants to run a race in the heat and the humidity of a southeast Georgia summer but um October, Columbus Day weekend, I believe, yes, Columbus Day weekend, is Under the Oaks, and that is a 5K, 10K half marathon that is held on beautiful Jekyll Island here in the coastal Georgia area. Visit them, Under the Oaks, um, and register. We have registration open, and those spots are filling up, so head on over there and register for that as well. We do have also other races coming up in the fall and we're not quite ready to announce information regarding those, but uh, we'll get that up to up on websites and social media and other platforms as soon as we have more information. Um, let me see, anything else? Oh, and we do have uh, other uh, episodes that are going to be dropping here shortly with uh, a variety of different characters that exist in the endurance ecosystem. Excited to get those up and. I would get them up a lot faster if um, if I could. I just haven't had a lot of time to sit down and get all the editing and everything, I's dotted, T's crossed, and all that to get those up. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you guys will be seeing a lot more episodes dropping because it is also the lead-up to Western States, which is happening at the end of June here. And it's getting exciting because you're starting to see all... The previews and the posts and information about the race that's coming up. And of course, if you guys have been listening to this podcast, you guys know that I ran it in 2016. And this is the fifth year anniversary of that run. And to kind of commemorate that <coughs> opportunity, I interviewed several folks that have been or that were a part of that race in 2016. And I'm really excited to get those episodes up and hope you guys enjoy. So, Hope you guys are doing well with your running and your endurance endeavors. It's getting warm out there, so stay hydrated and, uh, you know, be careful not to overheat. Run in the early morning or later in the day when it's not so hot. Make 
sure hydrating and when i say hydrating i want to be drinking a sweet tea so that's all i got for now enjoy the episode and uh, let's go for a run tells me we are live. So Mr. Jay Holder, thank you for joining us on the Lane One podcast. My first question for you is, well, did you run today? I haven't. Uh, I'm running at, in about an hour and a half. Uh, I'm, I'm solo with my kids this week. My wife's on a business trip. And so there's a, another dad in the neighborhood that's got the jog stroller and we're going we're gonna to meet up and get in a run. For better or for worse, it's a little warm. Well, it's, it's, we've hit that time of the year in Georgia where it's just going to be miserable from now until uh, end of October. October. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm usually a 5 a.m., 6 a.m. runner, but um, I can't get the kids in the jog stroller that early. So this next <laughs> couple of days, I'm going to have to just make do, unfortunately. You've been with the Atlanta Track Club now since 2016, correct? That's right. Yeah, I started in January 2016. Okay. And before that, you were just in, in doing my research, you were in Charlotte before that? Is I was that in it? New York City before that. So oh. I, uh, I came from the world of, of television news. I worked at ABC News in New York City for five years. Uh, and before that, I was in Charlotte, um, also doing television news. Gotcha. But originally from New York, New York, New York, correct? New York, New York, which is nowhere near, near New York City or Newark, New Jersey. Uh, it is a small town in between Rochester, New York and Syracuse, New York. So it's sort of in the Finger Lakes, Great Lakes, in between the Finger Lakes and the Great Lakes. So how, um, how, how close to Schenectady? I used to be able to say Yeah. Two and a half hours. Schenectady is in the Albany area. So this is more, this is west, west of Schenectady. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you went to high school in New York, New York, New York, New New York. Yeah. I can't talk. Let's just let's just end it now. Thanks, Jay, for joining us today. Yeah, just- it was great. Good to talk to you. I'm going to get in some extra miles with all this free time. Uh, now I went to high school in Newark, New York, Newark, New York. It is really hard to say. Like now that I'm removed from it, and you know, I spent my entire childhood and, uh, and and teenage years there. My family still lives there. Now that I'm removed from it, from it saying Newark, New York is is a really tough thing to say. So yeah, but yes, I went to high school there. Um, I went to college in upstate New York, a little further east. Go Lakers. Yeah, that's right. Go Lakers. Yeah, uh, just uh, just south of the Canadian border uh, on the uh, eastern shores of Lake Ontario. Uh, I went to the southeastern shores of Lake Ontario, went to Oswego. So I was, a, I was an upstate New Yorker until about 25, 24, 25 when I moved down to, to Charlotte, which was my first experience with the South. And working in, t- in television was the, was the move? Yeah, I, so I started my career in Syracuse. Uh, I was a TV news producer at the NBC affiliate there. Um, and you know, in TV news, you sort of move up market size and, and, and you, you, you climb cities. And so uh, Syracuse was a great first, first job, uh, loved it there, was close to home, was ready for a new challenge. And I went to, and, and I sent, you sent, at the time you sent tapes. I don't think they right. <laughs> um, but I, I sent little VHS tapes of my, 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 uh, my shows all around the country and uh, to places I'd never been just to try a new adventure, you know, single, no kids can do that. 
and uh, and landed in Charlotte, um, which is it's a great town. Like if you live in Atlanta, Charlotte's kind of like Atlanta, but uh, smaller. Um, but uh, yeah, so TV news up until up until the track club job, that was that was my thing. Gotcha. And you ran cross and track in high school, correct? Yes, not well, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, give us a little background. What 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 was that like? What was that experience like? You know, I think you in New York, it was five k for cross country. Yeah, five k okay. for cross country. Um, I was actually a swimmer and a theater geek first, um, and uh, I swimming is a hard sport. Like I, 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 so many, so much props to to people who continue to swim. I, as far as individual sports go. To me, it's like the mentally the toughest because you are, you've got, I mean, you, it's you and your thoughts. Like you're not, you know, you're not in a group run with your buddies. You're, you're not in a group swim with your buddies. I mean, when you're swimming 5,000 meters, you're, you're alone. So I did that. And my favorite part of swim practice was that we would run a mile before practice. And I always loved that part. And all my other swim teammates were like, you're crazy. I, this is the worst part of the practice. <laughs> um, but after a while of, of doing that, I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is it's telling me something. And uh, my best friends and my, my high school girlfriend were all on the cross-country team. So I switched over to that and uh, it was life-changing. I had a great, great coach who, you know, if you've got a good coach at the high school or middle school level, like those are the people who stick around the sport in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I was not good. I was... You know, I was, I was lucky to break the top seven in any given week, you know, they'd put me in the, the thousand and indoor and I would be lucky to, you know, podium in the B heat. Um, but I loved it. And I had a coach who, who loved the sport and taught the sport better than still better than anybody I've ever met. Um, and, and so I just kept doing it. And, you know, I went to a division three college uh, with, it was not what you would consider a uh, track and cross country powerhouse. So and I think that was great because I got to still be on the team, even though I, you know, was not somebody that any school would have recruited out of high school. Um, and, you know, when you start running later in life, you know, later I mean, my teens, but you, know, you, you have no place to go, but up. So, um, so by the end of college, I was still not the number one guy on the team, but I could, you know, I could hold my own with the, you know, with the top five and, um, and, uh, and, and it was just, you know, it was a great way to get introduced to the sport and a great way to progress in the sport. And uh, I, you know, I was just telling somebody yesterday that joining the high school cross country team was, and, and we can get into this later, but like in many ways, the most consequential decision I ever made because it's led, I mean, I, I will tell anybody that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Um, it was a really, really great experience. Cross country is a very unique sport and not unique. Obviously you running isn't unique. Everybody can run. And, but the sport itself. And like you said, if you've got the right coach that coaches, it's, it's just, it, it's hard to explain. You know, I, I actually coach at a local high school and, you know, I was a high school cross country kid. I was a D three athlete also. So like you, you know, it wasn't spectacular, but I was, I was good enough to, you know, make this a lifelong, you know, activity. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, cross the kids that, that I coach now, you can see it, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different, it's just a different animal. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest misconception and I'm, and we're, you know, I'm, I'm sure the people who are listening are all familiar with this. So it's going to be a no duh kind of statement, but the biggest misconception is that cross country is an individual sport. And it is, I think the, uh, for me, it's the most, it's the most, purest of team sports. 
I mean, it is really everybody plays an equal role. There can be no weaklings. And that's the same with any team sport, but just uh, I, that's my favorite part of it. In fact, when I, when I ran uh, in New York City on the club scene, the, that old cross style was back for every road race we did. And that was the best part of it. Like knowing that, you, that your teammate was up there and the other guy was right behind you. And, you know, you recognize that orange singlet that you had to pick off. Like that's <laughs> the best part of the sport. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, we've got, you know, our number one runner cheering the kids that are the middle and back of the pack, you know, when they're running the open race and vice versa, everybody's in it to win it. And uh, they, you know, everyone risks it for the biscuit, just the same as, as the fast kid and the slow kid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And how many times have you seen a cross country race that's won by, by the fifth man or sometimes even the seventh? Oh, man? I mean, that's, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, wow. That's great that you, that you had that as, as, as the precursor to what, uh, what led you to eventually land at the track club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and my, so the story is that my, my coach, um, this, in this small town in New York, uh, uh, knew, knew some people and we got to volunteer as a team. We volunteered at a lot of meets in the Northeast as you know, we were the basket kids, things like that. Um, and, uh, through that, I got to meet some other people and, uh, one of them is our current executive director at, mm. the, at the track club. So, um, that connection is, you know, is truly why I'm here. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's just, open, it's opened a lot of doors. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it's interesting people who you know, were not, you know, D1 stand. I mean, there's certainly a number of big, you know, D1 runners who have gone on to stay in the sport, but I know more D3, you know, I call them, I call us scrubs. I know more D3 scrubs who are still doing this, who are still going out and running every day than I do guys who, you know, who got scholarships right out of high school um, that are still doing this. And I think because the pressure is lower and the burnout rate is lower, but, um, but it's just a really kind of interesting part of the sport that we're, we're still the guys that are still out there logging, you know, you know, a couple of miles a day and, and, and keeping up with it. We're still hammering. We're still, we're still right. chasing the dream. Yep, absolutely. So you, 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 like you said, you, you talked about how you, you started out in broadcast news, right? Yep. What, yep. what, what was the appeal of, of broadcast news? What was it that, that, that interested you in that as a, as a career? I, I loved news and journalism from, you know, as long as I can remember, I uh, you know, edited the ed edited, published, wrote the uh, school newspaper of my ele elementary school, which is not a thing until I decided to make it one, um, and <laughs> sold it at lunch for a nickel or something like that, and uh, and was uh, editor in chief of the high school newspaper. And I just always, I never wanted to do anything else uh, with my career other than journalism. I mean, from from a little kid, I mean, I, I know like little kids say, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a firefighter. I always wanted to be a journalist and uh, and went to school actually for print journalism. Um, and my freshman year of college was September 11th. Uh, two oh, weeks wow. or so. Uh, and, uh, and I was like everybody else in, in, the, in, the, in America, I was glued to the television. I just couldn't stop watching the coverage and I was blown away by the connection we all that we all needed. That and media has changed, especially television media since 9/11. But at that time, the connection that the people, the journalists, and the words that they were using were able to make with all of us who needed it was incredibly powerful to me. And so I just started loading up on broadcast classes um, and broadcast news writing and. Uh, video editing and, and, and TV production. And I, so I continued with my print major, but did all of the things to supplement it 
for on the broadcast side and ended up interning in television and then just staying in television. But it really, again, it sounds kind of cliche, but like that moment and that, that, that time in our history was just really impactful. And I just really um, uh, wanted to be part of, part of what broadcast TV had to offer. And as I say, it's, it's changed a lot uh, since then. Um, but it also, in hindsight, print journalism might have not been a great idea. So from a, from a career standpoint, I probably dodged a bullet there. And was Oswego, did they have a strong broadcast program? Yeah, we have a great broadcast program. Um, it's, you know, everybody knows Syracuse, which is not far from Oswego, and it's a great school, so no, nothing bad about Syracuse. But Oswego is a, is a state university of New York school, um, and it's got, you know, the, it's smaller than Syracuse. And what really drew me to it, besides the fact that I wasn't going to be drowning in debt when I got out of school, was that... Um, as a freshman, I could get into the newspaper staff. I could, you know, anchor the nightly newscasts. And at some of these big broadcast schools, you've got to wait until you're a junior and senior. And I wanted to start right away. So um, I've got a great television facility. Al Roker went to our school. Steve Levy and Linda Cohn went to went to Oswego. A lot of people that you probably see on your local news um, went to Oswego. Up into all over the country, even though it's a fairly local student student population. So um, really good broadcasting program. And uh, I was really lucky to be a part of it. Now, in looking at your resume, you were, when you were, when you were working in New York, a, you listed project producer, New York City Marathon from 2012 to 2015. Now, was your first day on the job Hurricane Sandy? No, well, that was my, that was our first year. So I started at uh, WABC in, uh, in 2011. Uh, and we did not have the, uh, we, we were not covering the New York City Marathon at that point. It, the TV rights belonged to another, another station in the city. We got them at the beginning of 2012. Um, and I you know, was a resident running geek in the house. And I just said, I, I really want to do this project. And uh, it was hard to turn me down because there wasn't anybody who uh, loved, the, loved the sport. There's not a lot of running fans around. So, I mean, there's, you know, we can find one in the office. You're lucky. Um, so, uh, so 2012 was my was my first year producing the coverage and it was i mean it was wild that we you know we 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 redid the show three or four times the week of the race before ultimately scrapping it but then that was my first year uh producing the new york city marathon and it was it was memorable (laughs) so as, as as part of that producing work or job you were obviously telling stories of people that were running in the race or behind the scenes, you know, what goes into the race. What's, what's the story from that, that time period that sticks with you? That's still, that follows you. That particular year or any, any Just of the years during, during your tenure there. Or, oh, wow. It was so many. I mean, I, I got to, I really got to know um, over the, those couple of years, I really got to know Meb really well, Meb Kifles, oh, really yeah. well. Uh, and and it, is, it is because of that experience of, of I would call a close, a close personal friend, uh, and that, and and I have the New York City Marathon to thank for that. It really is. I mean, you know, outside of what we do at Atlanta Track Club, I just said there is there is just another special place in my heart for the New York City Marathon because of how unique it is, and because of the the diversity of people that it brings together. Um, so I guess probably the best experience for me was we started this thing in 2012 where we wanted to tell that story. We wanted to show how the New York City Marathon unified. All of these, like if you've been to New York City, you know that like if you walk from one block to the next, it's a totally different world. And so the New York City Marathon covers 26 miles of that. So we launched this thing where we tried to tell a 
story at all 26 miles. And so we would start at the, um, at, at, we would start on Staten Island and we would do the Ford, but then we would go, you know, we'd go to the Bay, we'd go to Bayonne, which is uh, mile two, and we would drive the course. And we would, the first year, we, we took two days and we just stopped and we not went into stores and we knocked on doors and we just interviewed people and we got up to hold up a mile marker sign. And I mean, there, if you want to learn about New York City and you want to learn about <laughs> in New York City, that's it. I mean, that's how you do it. So we ended up doing it every year and we got a little more as we went. And I, I believe they still do it. Um, we got uh, we got a little more hyper planned as, as we went on. But that first year where we were literally just walking around with, uh, with a stack of mile markers for people to hold up at the camera. Uh, it was was an incredible, incredible experience. Uh, I mean, from from Bayonne to Williamsburg to Long Island City to to the Bronx to the Upper East Side. I mean, we met some of the most interesting people with the most interesting stories, all with connections to this race, even if they weren't runners. It, I'll never forget that. But no, there isn't one that jumps out. Is there one that? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, we, um, the Bronx, uh, there was a school along the route that, that was really interesting. They, their kids had been cheering at it for, for years and years and years. And, and I remember they took me back into their garden area and showed me that the, the little school garden that they had there. Participant story-wise, there was a woman that we interviewed um, who was a brain cancer survivor um, and, and turned into a, an ultra marathoner, had done hundreds of marathons and a couple of ultras. And she was one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And then the year after the Boston bombings, um, mm. I did a story with the doctor who was in the ER uh, at the hospital closest to the finish line in Boston. He was a oh, runner. Wow. And so I spent the day with him and he was gonna, and he was gonna be running that year. And uh, I had run Boston that year. And so just listening to the year of the bombing. So just listening to his story was really powerful. Um, but to me, just like the, the whole, immersion into you know who, oh I, I, another one uh spike lee i got to interview spike lee nice. and uh uh and that was really cool i mean just because he's spike lee i mean uh <laughs> so getting to getting to meet him was really neat um uh both before the race and then he was yeah he was on our set on race morning um and i still pull out that spike lee picture every once in a while me with, me with spike because he's got that because it it's cool. his spike lee it's spike lee right <laughs> If I had a photo with Spike Lee, I'd be showing it off too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Now he was watching the race. He wasn't, he wasn't actually running. He was a grand marshal. Oh, that's right. That's right. My final year. Yeah. yeah. So it was 2015, yeah. right? 2015. Yep. 2015. Wow. That is, that, that is cool. Spike Lee. Well, yeah. Spike Lee, if you're listening, if you ever want to yeah. run a marathon, come down to Atlanta. <laughs> that's right. It's a little hilly. <laughs> so then from New York, then that's when you went to, you came to Atlanta. Yep, came to Atlanta. I moved here in uh, in December of 2015. Uh, spent some time getting to know the city. My wife got a job here, uh, and uh, we had a five month old at the time, so I took about two months to just hang out with him. Um, and you know, we we were looking to New York City is a hard place to have small children and work the night shift and uh, and and pay for daycare and uh, and so we were looking to to get away, get out of the grind. And uh, you know, the Atlanta opportunity opened up and it was too good to pass up. And then before that, the before the ink was, I wouldn't even say before the ink, ink was dry, before we even got to a place where 
we knew that I was going to come work for the track club. My wife got an offer uh, just in looking. Um, and so we moved here and, and I had not solidified everything with the club yet, but felt like it's a pretty safe bet that I was going to get, get to work there. And, uh, and so it was great to have that time to just explore Atlanta, know Atlanta, look for a house. Um, but, you know, we, we have, we have loved it. I mean, it's just really, it's a great, I tell people that we love Charlotte. We loved New York city and Atlanta is the perfect combination of the two. I can um, see that. Yeah. It's got the, you know, it's got the neighborhood feel. It's got the, 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 the greenery. You, you can have a house and still live in the city, but it still has all the, the, the things about New York that are culturally attractive and opportunities that New York, a lot of the opportunities that New York has too. And what neighborhood of Atlanta are you guys in? I'm Buckhead right now okay. uh, because my wife works over here. Uh, we lived in Kirkwood for uh, originally and love Kirkwood, but we're, we're currently in Buckhead. So you, you, you land at the Atlanta Track Club, and this is no small club by any stretch of the imagination. You had had some experience with the New York Roadrunners Club, correct? So you had- Yeah, I just, they, yeah, I, I mean, on, on, the, on, the, on the other side of the, of the table but from where I am now, but yeah, I've, I worked with them very closely on the production of the New York City Marathon. And then, of course, you helped, you were one of the founders of the Charlotte Running Club, correct? Yes, now that's very different, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So uh, in Charlotte, realized that uh, I moved there, as I said, just kind of sight unseen, uh, and looking for a place to land. And when I got there, you know, picked up running again. I had sort of taken some time off after college, and you know, done done twenty two year old things for a while, and um, it was not in the best of running shape as a result of those twenty two year old things. Um, but picked it back up in, in, uh, in Charlotte as a means really to meet people and to, as a social outlet. Um, and quickly found that there was a, there's a really great, like, let me tell anybody who's listening, the, the Charlotte running scene is incredible. There are so many people who run in Charlotte across so many different paces and goals. It's really incredible. And quickly learned that there were a lot of us and there was just no real organization. And so me and, and two friends, uh, one who had just graduated from uh, uh, was a runner at Wake Forest, the other who is a former North Carolina runner, uh, a little older than me. Uh, we, we were doing workouts together and, and we decided, why, why, why don't we have an organization here? So we, we launched the Charlotte Running Club and I, I am still a member, um, but don't really have any involvement in it. Obviously not living in Charlotte anymore, but I'm really proud of, it's grown, I think a couple thousand people, um, they put on races uh, and they, they're just a really good, really good group to know if you're going to be in that area. Right. So you've had obviously varying experiences with running clubs from starting one through working on the other side of the table, like you said, at New York Roadrunners. And now here you're in the belly of the beast in Atlanta. Um, what was what was those what were those initial years like in terms of just getting acclimated to what the club was doing, what they had on the horizon in terms of, you know, events and just everything that the club does? We have a saying in Atlanta Track Club where we uh, are often we often find ourselves if we're not mildly uncomfortable then we're not doing anything and so <laughs> um, I spent the first the first year for sure I would say a little more than mildly uncomfortable um, you know as you said it, it was a totally new experience for me I'm I mean I come from a journalism background not a marketing background um, I I knew running um, but. Uh, I never worked in running other than, than the, the marathon production um, and, and my hobby in Charlotte. That was a, that was a, that was a, uh, a, a side volunteer gig. Um, 
So the first year was really like, like I'm somebody who has to see things to understand how they work and especially to promote them to other people. I have to know, I have to know what the experience looks like. So yeah, I started in January and we started marketing Peachtree in February and March. I had never seen the Peachtree and people were explaining it to me and trying to describe it to me. And I will tell you, like, you cannot accurately describe the Peachtree to somebody who's never seen it. Uh, so I just really kind of was, I felt like I was, I mean, I had tons of support, so don't get me wrong, but I felt like in a lot of ways that first year was like, was just like flying blind and then coming into an event and, and an event and seeing it and saying, okay, I get it now. This is how we're going to do this next year. Take, take some notes and, uh, and, and try to do it, you know, try to do it better based off the experience. So um, it's still every day mildly uncomfortable because, you know, if you follow the club, we're constantly adding new things. This past weekend, we did the Wingfoot Night of Champions, um, which was a high school meet. And it was amazing. It was, it was so much fun um, and a, a great experience for the high school athletes such a part of it, but none of us had ever done it before. So, um, so mildly uncomfortable is, is putting it lightly. Um, uh, but the, those first couple of years, for sure, first year, um, just kind of learning the ropes. I tell anybody who interviews at the track club um, or who's starting at the track club that to prepare to feel like you have no idea what you're doing for a while. And that's okay because the staff and your coworkers will support you and help you and guide you. But it's, there's not a training ground. There's not a place you can go and learn how to work here because no one else, you know, even other running clubs are not doing what Atlanta Track Club is doing. They just do, they do not say they're not, you know, they're not as good. They're just, the BAA does different things. The Roadrunners do different things. Um, uh, Kara does different things. So the Track Club is really kind of its own, as you, I think you call it a beast. Um, and I think that's, that it's, a, it's a gentle beast, but it, it can be a beast for sure. And the position you're in now, that was a position that was already in existence and you were coming in and taking over for someone that had been in that position before, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. I was brought in uh, director of marketing and communications at a job that had, there were a couple of people that did it before me. The club has evolved, you know, since it's incepted greatly since it's founding in 1964. Um, uh, and when I started, there were three people in the marketing department and we're up to seven now. Um, because there's just so many more mediums and so many more platforms and people to reach. So, um, but it, it's been evolving pretty rapidly since, uh, since I started and, and well before that. You mentioned the size of the staff, which, and when I was looking over the, the, just everything that the track club does, and if we just look at the events, the third, 30 plus events, do I have that correct? That you guys yeah, put 30, on? Between 30 and 40 events and programs. Yeah. Right, right, right. That, is just making my head spin. You know, when I think about just with the events and races that I'm involved with and to try to do the marketing, the communications and the outreach for that. I mean, I want to lay down and take a nap right now because it's just overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys are it doing can... it. Go ahead. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I think you really have to be good at, um, and this is a you know something I definitely learned on the job at, you got to know your calendar and you have to know how to prioritize and how to segment your messaging. So, I mean, we had Wingfoot Night of Champions going on. We're also in the midst of uh, of, um, uh, a big push for our race with the Braves, which is on June 5th. And we're still pushing Peachtree virtual. So, but we're talking to different people in a lot of ways with those. So the high school audience is very defined. And so we, you know, we could, we can kind of parse that out, but it does come to, and it certainly becomes a manpower issue too. And I was telling a coworker this morning, I spent all last week thinking high school track and field, which is fun. I certainly, I'm not, not a complaint, um, but 
woke up this morning thinking, oh, we have other things going on. I better catch up on those things. <laughs> you can find yourself caught behind real quickly when you get immersed in something. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, people often ask me, they say, when is the downtime for the track club? When, you, when, it, when is it quiet for you guys? And I just say, it's not <laughs> July 5th, but we're kind of tired. So I don't know how much you're going to get out of us on that day. Do you feel you have now found a rhythm to the work now that you've been there a couple of years, you know, you know, when the uphills are coming, when you can coast downhill. Yeah. I think we all, we all felt that way until last year and then the mm. rhythm was broken. So I definitely would say pre COVID had found a rhythm, you know, could anticipate what was coming up. That, you know, different, you just kind of knew, okay, this season is this, this, this month is this. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't, we, we never, we don't rinse and repeat but you, you kind of knew how to prepare for the next cycle. And COVID and a year of not being able to put on events in the way that we, I think, do it best, um, kind of threw that off. And so I think we're all sort of finding that rhythm again. Um, but yeah, doing, doing the calendar, you know, a couple of times is, is definitely helpful. But, um, and now things are starting to feel normal again. Like it feels like, okay, we, we're go, we have a walkthrough for the, for the Rage Race tomorrow at Truist Park and that feels normal. And, um, you know, peach trees a month away. So starting to remember, okay, this, you know, six weeks out, we do this and we do this. And so all those things are starting to come back, but it's taken a while as, as normalcy has returned to remember how that went. And so I'm going to back up a little bit. So you obviously, well, not you, but the track club, you guys and, and the army of, of folks that, that, that are a part of the track club hosted, put on, executed the Olympic trials in just before the pandemic hit. Like literally it was, I think two weeks, two and a half weeks, and then everything shut down. February 29th. Yeah. It was about yeah. two weeks. Yeah. And I had interviewed, um, a couple months ago, uh, Libby Bigelow, who ran, who was one of the females that qualified and ran. And so we talked a little bit about the trials and I was telling her, and then subsequently told her that you and I were going to be chatting and she had nothing but praise for the track club and for the behind the scenes and everything that went into putting it together. And I guess I wanted to ask you if you can, you know, take us behind the Oz curtain <laughs> and talk a little bit about that experience, because for, for me as a spectator, my son and I went up and along with a lot of other friends from, from the coast area and went up and just, it was just a fantastic magical weekend for us as spectators. I want to hear from you what that was like for you. It was simultaneously the most, the most difficult thing personally. I've, oh, sorry, I kicked my computer there. Personally, I've ever worked on professionally and personally, um, and also the most fulfilling and, uh, and the one thing, you know, if I, you know, career wise had to say, I'm never going to forget this one thing, it would be the trials. I mean, it was just, and I'm, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. It was an amazing weekend. I, I, I can't, it's hard still a year and a half later to put into words what the trials meant. Um, it was, I mean, we, from the bid process to the last finisher crossing the line, we were, we were a hundred miles an hour pedal to the floor um, trying to make this happen because when we bid for this, the, we knew we could put on a, a championship level marathon, but that was not the objective. The objective was, I would say, you know, twofold one to do it better than 
anyone's ever done it before and to set a new standard and two, to figure out a way to truly integrate the thousands of people, tens of hundreds of thousands of people who run with the couple hundred people who run at a level where they're, they're competing for the Olympics team. Um, and, and so that was our focus for the, for the entire buildup was how do we give as much attention to the people who are inspired by this as we're doing for the people who are doing the inspiring. Um, and, and that's, it's tough. I mean, I, you know, our, the, the sport of track and field, I think, you know, put up against any other sport with fans and people who do that sport casually has the most disconnect. Mm. Um, you go to a, te- you go to a, somebody, you know, who's playing tennis and they can tell you who, you know, the top tennis players are most likely you go to a baseball, a kid's baseball game. They're going to tell you, you know, who won the Cy Young award last year. You go to the middle of a, uh, of a major marathon. They probably don't know who won and they don't care. And <laughs> the trials was our opportunity to change that um, or to at least begin to change that. And that's, so that's how we approached everything with the fans and the athletes in mind and giving this, this, this world-class experience to both. Um, and, uh, it took, it took every resource we had. It was expensive. It was, you know, (laughs) very often a 24 hour job. Um, but to me, and and I'm not the guy who balances the books. So, uh, to me worth every, every second and every penny, because I have heard very few negative things about what happened that weekend. Um, from the fans and from the athletes. And it's, it's been such a, a, a humbling experience to have played even a small role in, in, in that happening. I, I, the only regret is that we couldn't celebrate it longer um, because as you said, COVID happened two weeks later uh, and the world shut down. And so um, on the other hand, we said we did celebrate it for a long time because nothing else happened after that. So every, every time people wanted to talk about the last big race, it was the trials, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I learned so much, met so many great people, um, uh, learned so much about Atlanta and Atlanta's willingness or, and desire to, to go back to its Olympic roots and to celebrate its Olympic legacy. Um, yeah, it, it, I've said a lot of glowing things, but, uh, but I hope as, a, as, a, as somebody watching on the streets, you, you felt that and saw that. And absolutely. And absolutely. Like absolutely. And, I think one of what, what I really enjoyed about it, and obviously we can appreciate that better now, knowing that we went into a shutdown and, you know, being around folks and being in large crowds was, 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 we couldn't, couldn't do it. And just, and just having spent, you know, several hours with thousands of people on the roads of Atlanta was, you know, it was surreal because you go from going, wow, that was fantastic. And it's like, oh crap. Now what? You know, yeah. But one of the things that I found, what I what I thought was was genius, and I don't know if this was on purpose or was a happy accident, was the layout of the course, and how the start times were different from the men and the women, and we made it to the intersection. And, and you'll forgive me because I can't remember the name of the of this of the of the streets in Atlanta, but we were right where we could see the men come by, then the women, and then the men were coming back. And then, you know, that loop that they did, it was maybe 10 minutes where you didn't see any runners, but then all of a sudden there was action and this, the race spread out and 
you know, the faster runners, you know, were making their moves and everybody was still coming. I mean, it was just this constant parade of runners and it was just fantastic. It was, it was, you know, I'm getting goosebumps now just reliving it because it was, you were seeing all your, 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 you were seeing your, your, the people you look up to and you're seeing the people that you knew were grinding and that, you know, just hit that 245 or the 219 and they were sitting there battling and, you know, and, you know, we're, we live here in Georgia and, you know, all our friends are there and you're just, it was just, it was just great. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could take any credit for the course, but I cannot. Uh, it was designed, engineered meticulously by people much smarter than I am. Um, but for that very purpose, I mean, it had to be fan, fan friendly. Um, it had to be spectator friendly. And so we had, you know, we had an eight mile loop that they ran three times and there, I, you know, I could, I remember sitting in, you know, and um, with the course team and they had, they had animated models that would show you based on past trials history of when runners would come by. Cause one of the things we wanted to be fan friendly we wanted to make it. So you guys weren't standing there on the side of the street waiting for 10, 15, 20 minutes for a runner to come by, but it also had to avoid bottlenecks. Um, you didn't want the men running into the women. Uh, obviously you were going to have some overlap, but you didn't want packs overtaking sure. other packs. So all of these computer models were done to ensure that the timing and the spacing worked out. And so those start times were, were very intentional. Um, and uh, the layout of the course was very intentional to ensure that, that people who were watching got a, got a great show. And then the athletes weren't, weren't running into each other or, or we weren't having any issues with, with tight turns where, where crowds were bottlenecking. Wow. Animated models. I did not, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. 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 I, just dots. There were dots that would, I could see yeah. like a crowd of dots and then the clock would go and you could see like, we played with all different start times and, and, and different sizes. And of course, obviously when we started planning, we were not planning for a 700 person event. Um, <laughs> the, the plan was based on previous trials, which was closer to three, maybe 400. So uh, things changed a lot. The course had to change a couple of times. Um, over the over the course of planning um but it was yeah it, i mean we had some really brilliant track and field marathon minds working on it that 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 really made it work thinking back to that weekend what is is there a moment um you know a situation that you're like wow that was really cool yeah there were there were lots of them <laughs> um uh you know i'm I'm a fan of the sport. Uh, I'm, yeah. a huge, I'm a huge track and field fan. And, and so, you know, I got to get to know a lot of these athletes over the buildup um, because they would come down and they needed a course tour. And I knew the course and could sometimes, I could usually keep up. There were a couple of times where uh, I got beat up pretty bad. Um, but, uh, well, a couple of weeks in November, we did a course preview. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't that weekend, but this, this is one of my favorite moments. We had a course preview. We invited the whole field and um, I got uh, assigned to be the, uh, the 630 to seven minute pace tour guide, essentially. And so I got all of the, um, I've, I got all of the, uh, the Nazali team. I got, oh, cool. uh, yeah, I got, um, uh, it was really mainly them. Um, and, and I got to take them on a course tour. So, you know, Steph and, and and the scots and uh and that was really cool although we went uh, a lot harder than <laughs> i was uh, i was hired to do and uh i had a marathon three weeks later and it was a disaster <laughs> because i left it all on the course so that was but that was i wouldn't trade it for the world uh and then race week you know i had a lot of friends from the new york city running scene um that were trials qualifiers and 
being at the line, being able to be at the line when these people that I have logged hundreds and hundreds of miles with came across and they didn't make the team, but they were there, you know, they were there competing in the trials and, and that course was, you know, despite our best efforts at eating people alive uh, and being there to literally catch some of them as they came across the line. Um, there's this one picture of me and, and somebody that I, that I trained with a lot, many early mornings in Central Park uh, finishing and just, uh, you know, I, I'm just helping her, helping her get through the shoot. And, uh, and it really just like, for me, it ties everything together. Uh, 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 you know, the dreams I've, I had about, you know, working at, at an event like this. Um, uh, and so that, that moment's kind of, kind of burned in my, in my mind. Um, but, um, and then, you know, Alephine winning is, uh, Alephine's beloved in Atlanta. I mean, she won the peach tree in 2017 and people, I mean, she's, if you've met her or talked to her, you know, like she's just this, this, this effervescent, mm-hmm. um, really positive, exciting person. And so people knew who she was because, you know, she was a Peachtree champion. And, uh, and so her winning was pretty special too. What is it? What, what's one thing that people wouldn't necessarily, you know, when you think about an event like that, what is, what's the one thing that you think, yeah, God, people have no idea about putting an event like this together? Uh, personal maybe, hydration. Maybe, <laughs> oh God! Yeah, you you have to stay hydrated. Well, but, but no, I mean for the athletes. Oh, for the athletes, they're not like yeah. They, 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 you've got seven hundred people to that get. So we made a again planning for a normal size trial trials. We it was really important to us that anybody who qualified for the trials was treated the same as anybody who qualified for the trials. So we dropped a lot of the delineation between the A and the B standard. Gotcha. Um, there's some, still some, some change, but for the most part on, on race day, everybody was treated the same. Now, this is a great idea when you've got it, when you're talking three, 400 people, when it's 700 people, it becomes a logistical, uh, it's a logistical nightmare. And we, so we, but we, we did personal hydration for every single athlete, um, which meant that everything had to be orchestrated. And we had a team that was, that was their whole job, uh, was making sure that athletes knew where their bottles were, their bottles were out and they got them and they weren't, and there weren't bottlenecks at all the, at all the fluid stations. So they, I mean, it was, it was genius in the way that they did it. And I've heard nothing, but no complaints about the, the fluid stations, but, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a, a two forty two marathoner, you've got your own, you know, which table you're going to, and you know, which spot on the table that, that, uh, is yours. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to comprehend the complexities of that for anybody watching the race. It certainly wasn't for me when we went into it. So I think that's the most amazing feat that was pulled off the whole weekend. And the thing that people probably know the least about. So let me make sure I understand this. So the team made sure that at each water station for the, just for the simplicity and how many were there, do you remember on the course, how many there were? There were, there were four that were passed on the loop. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Twice okay. per loop. So you went by, you went by, I think, uh, okay, so one, two, three, four, I think yeah. you went by, uh, I think you went by every five K I believe. Right, you got right. I mean, there were other, there were bit your basic, like cup of power aid, cup right. of water, but personal, I think there were, you had eight opportunities to grab your personal fluids. Right. And, and, and the team made sure that each individual bottle, whatever it was that they were drinking, was ready for them at each of those personal hydration stations for yep. 700 people, 700 people. So they, they, they picked, they 
organized refrigerator because they all be they have to be refrigerated. Yeah. So they yeah. had organized refrigerated trucks, a drop-off system the weekend of where you brought them into a room and you had a time slot that you brought them and, and dropped them off. And then they had crews at each each station making sure that every athlete's section of their table, I think it was I think it was 12 tables per station were ready for those athletes. And I if not, I'm sure that somebody missed a bottle at some point, but I have not heard anything about it if it if it, it was not, it certainly wasn't enough to be a, be an issue. An issue. Right. Right. You figure just by the sheer number of it, that, you know, something right. might've fallen through the cracks, but. But no, um, nobody tripped and fell at the yeah. eights. I mean, we certainly had some bunch ups early on in the race, um, but no, no issues at the water stations. And we, we, you know, we, we have a Stanford engineer on staff uh, <laughs> and that was who was in charge of our, of our waters. I mean, that's what she did for months. Just figured that out. I mean, and it was, it, it was, it's, it's, it's a wonder of the running world that it, that it was pulled off. That's fantastic. Was there anybody that, I, I mean, obviously you've met a lot of people, you've met a lot of your heroes, you've met a lot of the, the, the stars of the, of the running world. Was there somebody that you geeked out when you, like, did you meet him on race weekend and go, oh my gosh, that was, you know, so-and-so? Um, let's see. Uh, I got to, I mean, I, I had met, I, I met a lot of people through the New York city marathon. So I'm sure. not sure if there's anybody new that I met. I did get it. I did get to, so I'm a class of 2001 guy. So uh, high school. So the web hall. Ritz, oh yeah. 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 It's always like, that's, that to me is like, I mean, those are the guys, like those yeah. are the guys that I followed all through high school. Sure. And, and so I did do a course tour with Ryan and Sarah. Oh, cool. um, and Sarah ran me into the ground. Uh, we, uh, was a, I think we ran 15 miles and I don't think I walked for a week after that. And Ryan ran alongside on a scooter, but that was surreal the entire time. I'm like, this guy was like the guy that I just like, I've been following since I was a kid. And he's, you know, um, so that was cool. Um, uh, you know, I, I met up for coffee and a beer with with Meb after the trials and he had, um, he had Ron tab with him who I'd never met. Um, and nice. I, and, and I didn't know who he was and he just casually was like, this is my old buddy, Ron. And then we're talking and talking. I was like, oh, this is Ron tab. <laughs> like, and so it's sort of a light bulb that went off. But um, I, what I love about the running community is that no, I mean, there are stars, but they don't know. I don't know any of them really act like stars. I mean, they are, they're, they're just, they're just like us as people right. magazine. There's no pretension. Yeah. Yeah. There really isn't like, you know, so seeing some of these, you know, some of these incredibly decorated athletes in the hotel before or after the race, like, you know, um, they, they always seem so approachable and nice and want to talk to you about running. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. So the whole weekend, it really was surreal in that regard that like, you know, I, I walked into the hotel and there's a, you know, fairly well-known runner was going out for their, their warm-up or their, their last shakeout the two nights before the race. And I was going for a run too. And she said, Hey, you want to just do the run together? And we went and went, ran for four or five miles. And it was like, this is really, this is great. This is my job this weekend. So, um, so the whole thing is still like, you know, when I think about it, a really surreal experience. Fantastic. Now going from one surreal experience to a potentially new surreal experience, I see that you were also uh, the deputy manager for, or at least for press operations for the Tokyo Olympics. For, uh, yeah, for Olympic stadium. So, uh, so for the, so each venue has a staff. Um, and so I'm on the Olympic stadium staff. I leave for Tokyo. So today's, today's May 24th. Those so we're recording. I leave for Tokyo two weeks for, from tomorrow uh, to quarantine 
uh, for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, yeah, I'm doing a lot of what I did at the trials and what I've been doing at the New York City Marathon for the last couple of years, um, press room operations for the, the opening and closing ceremonies and then for all track and field events, minus the marathon, which is a, in its own venue this year. Um, but yeah, so hey, surreal is going to be one way. It's, I'm not really quite sure what to expect in a lot of ways. So you're, you'll be gone for the better part of what, like a month and a half to almost two months? Two months. Yeah. Yeah. Will your, will, will, will your family be able to go with you or will that just be too no, logistically? No. It, well, I mean, other, you need a special, uh, uh, um, special uh, certificate just to get into Japan right now, okay. um, which I'll get because I'm, I'm actually working for the, the local organizing committee. So I'm working for Tokyo 2020. So uh, employed by the Japanese. So I have that, um, but they're not letting anybody else in. No, I mean, I don't think athletes can bring their families, which is, gotcha. uh, which is tough. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we were not really planning on doing it anyways, just because traveling to Japan for three people, uh, I, obviously my, my trip is paid for, but, um, for an adult and two kids who are past the age of three airlines, a lab kid. A lot. <laughs> Yeah, they're not left kids anymore. So it's a little bit cost prohibitive uh, for us at this point. So we, we had kind of ditched the, the plans even last year when the Olympics were, were going on pre-COVID. We had talked about it and they're like, yeah, let's, and it wasn't a two month commitment when it was in 2020. It was more of a six week, five, five week commitment. Sure. Um, and now with the quarantine period, it's longer, but, um, but no, it'll be flying solo, literally. <laughs> so between your responsibilities with the track club you know, with what you have coming up with the Olympics, you're married and you have two small kids. What are their ages? Uh, one will be six a week from tomorrow. Uh, no, uh, two weeks from today, June 7th, my son turns, uh, the day before I leave. Um, and the other is four. So six and almost six and four. When do you have time to run, dude? <laughs> Five in the morning, man. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I get up really early and, uh, and I go before the day, the day begins. Um, and I just got out of that routine cause I had a, a little bit of a, just a, uh, a lower back thing. So I, I stopped running for a couple of weeks and, and rode the bike and gotcha. so we have a stationary bike. And, uh, and so I, I find it's really hard to, to get back into that routine once you got out of it. But the heat in Atlanta, as we talked about, makes it, makes you, you know, when you're, when you're hitting the snooze button, think, Oh, but I'm not doing this at six o'clock. <laughs> I, I got to do this at 6 p.m. I got to do this now. I do a lot of run commuting. I live three miles from the office. So I'll oh, run. Nice. It's helpful. Um, and I do a lot of, and I'm running out of time to do this but that because they're getting bigger, but I do a lot of jog stroller running too. And is that, are you in a hilly part of Atlanta? Or like, is there, is there not? Is there, is there not? Yeah. I was just, I was just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm in a pretty hilly section. So I, I get a lot of, if you look at my Strava, it's all over the place. If I run with the kids, I, you know, it's my mile times are, uh, they're up and down quite a bit. Well, and, and media is, is, is that, you know, media is, is a constant thing. Are you finding you're able to balance the demands of the job with the demands of, you know, being a husband and father and a runner and a Braves fan? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I, well, Braves fan, it takes a very, I mean, I like the hat, um, but I, I like the Braves, but I'm Packer fan is the thing that takes. Oh, jeez, Louise. Are you kidding me? Come You're on, not a Bears Jay. fan, are you? I'm from Chicago. Oh, no. Okay. Well, it was good talking to you. <laughs> oh, boy. 
I, I, uh, I'm not in the room with my Packers. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm showing him my my uh, uh, my uh, what is these? What are these cups called? The I forget Eyeglass. the brand. No, oh, well, the Jervis uh, Tumbler. Yeah, the Tur- Oh, look at you. Is it a Packers Tervis? No, it's my wife's old job. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm actually somebody asked me if I'm a Falcons fan today because I'm wearing a, a shirt from our race with the Falcons. But um, I I'm in a different room. But there is a we own stock in the Packers and it's hanging up in the room across the hall. Is your wife from Wisconsin? No, it's a it's a crazy story. My dad. Uh, well, well I, I need to hear it now. <laughs> okay, I'll tell it. I can I can sum it up pretty quickly. My dad is from Canton, Ohio, home of the Football Hall of Fame. Sure. And when he was a little kid, um, the first thing he liked was the colors. And then at, at the age of four, my grandfather took my dad to the, the Hall of Fame game, and it was the Packers versus the Browns. Oh, my geez. dad rooted for the Packers, and he had a uh, a book. It was called The History of Football. I have it downstairs. And uh, and after he waited outside the visitor locker room because he liked Bart Starr and Bart Starr. Thank you, uh, MVP, quarterback of the Packers, Hall of Famer. Sure. Uh, came out and Don't rub it in. Picked, <laughs> picked up my dad and signed the book. And I have the oh, signed cool. picture. And my dad, that was it, Packers fan for life. So I was born into a Packer family. I've, you know, I've seen him play all across the country. Uh, I'm, this Aaron Rodgers thing is, is just, it's just killing you, isn't it? Ripping my heart out. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so. Uh, so Braves, I like the Braves because they're the hometown team. But I've never been much of a baseball fan. I'm wearing a Braves hat for anybody who's uh, wondering why I keep bringing that up. <laughs> um, and I'll go. I love taking my kids, uh, and they're you know I love the people who work there. Uh, but the Packers fan is much more time-consuming uh, hobby for me. Um, God, and so, here I thought we were having a good conversation, Jay, and then you had to go and talk about the Packers. You could have said anybody but Bears. You could have <laughs> said the like, Chargers. You could have said yeah. the whatever. Well, I, you know, I went to school in Wisconsin at a small D, D3, you know, Carroll College, now Carroll University. And, you know, growing up in Chicago, the Bears-Packers rivalry wasn't, it, it wasn't one of those things that, that was always on our radar, you know. And, you know, obviously the 85, 86 Bears, the whole nine yards, that was big, obviously. And when I went to school, my roommate, um, and, and now a good friend, also a runner. He ran on the cross country team and, 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 and a strong marathoner himself. He was a huge fan. I mean, his family had season tickets. They were season tickets holders for like multiple decades. And so when the bears and Packers played and, and, you know, when we were in college, it was the 88 through 92. So the bears were better, you know, we were mopping the floor with them. And so I just got, I just got into, you know, just rubbing it in, rubbing it in. He's like, Oh, you know, and then of course, you know, Brett Favre comes on board and then it's been mediocrity for the bears ever since we <laughs> yeah. the bad yeah. bears Packers. And so whenever they played, you know, it was like, Oh, we had parties and I lived in Wisconsin for, you know, for several years after I graduated and, you know, and then I, and then years later, a good friend of mine was, uh, had a friend of ours that was doing a residency in Ohio. And so we went down there to visit him and, Oh, the Packers are playing Detroit and it's just, a, you know, it's just up the road. We got to go and, you know, root on the Packers. And I, begrudgingly went but you know i'll say this about packer fans there are no fans anywhere anywhere in this world like the packer fans because there were more yeah. people in 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 in, in uh, i think they were still playing in the silver dome um yeah. there were more people in the silver dome from wisconsin than there were detroit fans that's crazy yeah and i have had I, the only place where i've truly felt like i don't have any support is it um i see soldier field <laughs> Uh, I've never, well, yeah, of course. I've never, never come into a game at Soldier Field, but that would make sense. Um, Buff, uh, Ralph Wilson Stadium in Buffalo. I mean, oh, okay. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a scary place to be a fan of the opposing team. Right, right. They're, so, 
disappeared from my life a couple of times there. I can see that. I can see that. So uh, I will, I, I just, I, I need to ask since you said you're a Packer fan. So you're a fan of, I'm assuming you're a fan of baseball then? Uh, I mean, I would. No, no, no. Okay, good. Then, then we're not even going to go there. Cause I was going to ask you then don't tell me you're a Cubs fan because I'm going to like, no, no, I'm not a, I'm not a big baseball guy. I, okay, I root for the Braves cause they're here and right, right, I'll right. take my kids to the games, but it's, I, that I do not have time for 162 games. No, no, no. That's, that, that's a commitment. Yeah. Um, well, we're at an hour, Jay. So I know you're a busy guy, obviously, cause you're handling a lot. Um, just real quickly with the track club, obviously peach trees coming up and that's an in-person race this year, correct? Yeah. So it's both, um, virtual we're doing, virtual. yep. Yeah. I think virtual is here to stay. I think that that, you know, that option is going to be around for every race that you sign up for, for a long time. And I, you know, there are, there, are, it does fulfill a certain need for people. And so, um, any way that we can, you know, continue to provide opportunities for people to get out and, and run or walk, um, it's great. So there is a virtual option that registration is open through June 7th. The in-person registration has closed. Um, but, uh, it's two days this year, which is just to, you know, just 60,000 people on Peachtree road. Didn't, didn't feel like we were quite ready for that yet. Um, so it's July 3rd and July 4th. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, a lot of the traditions, other than the fact that it's going to be two days trying to keep as many of the traditions, uh, that make it feel like that real Peachtree experience, uh, going, um, after taking a year off. So it's back. That's fantastic. I know a lot of my friends, a lot of running friends from this area head up to Atlanta to do Peachtree. And I know a lot of them are looking forward to doing it this year. And where are you based? You said the coast. Yeah. So St. Simon's Brunswick. Oh yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. area. Yeah. But it's Great. hotter than it's, it's now the heat and humidity is here because it's yeah. brutal today. Yeah. I just checked the temperature because I, I, uh, I, uh, I'm going to load up the jog stroller in a little bit and it's 92 and I'm just like, Oh, well, a, you're actually hotter than we are. It only says, let's see, it only says 84 today right now, but it feels like yeah, it's hundred outside. Yeah. It's been, it's been roasting here, but uh, yeah. And that's something I'll tell you as a, as a northerner and you definitely know this too, <laughs> being in Wisconsin, like I never got used to, I have still, I still give me a cold day in long sleeves any day. I tell people I'm a cold weather Mexican. I don't know. I don't know anything about this heat and humidity. I'm, I give me the cold. I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> I would rather run in the snow than run in 95 degrees. Not even a question. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, well, Jay, I appreciate your, your time. I appreciate everything you're doing for the running community. Uh, you have one of the coolest jobs. I'm sure there are days where you do not want to look at your phone, social media or anything news related but um, uh, appreciate you being on here and sharing a little bit of, of what you do. Uh, looking forward to seeing, I don't know if you're going to be able to do any updates while you're in Tokyo, but I'm definitely going to be following and seeing what, uh, what, uh, what you have to share and just what that experience. And hopefully you'll come back after that and tell us what that experience was like. I would love to. This was a, this is a, a lot of fun. I didn't feel like I was on a podcast. I felt like I was just having a good, a good yeah, chat. So two I'd running geeks come. geeking out. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing I like better. Even, even working into that for talk to me about running. I'll, we could talk all day. Um, yeah, but I will hopefully be, uh, be able to update things from on social media while I'm over there and give some experiences on the, on the track club channels. And, uh, I would love to talk when I get back. Great. Well, thanks again. And, uh, stay cool, man. Thanks you too. Thanks for having me. All right, man.